Welcome back to the BIDS mini-series, Sustainability, Our New Standard, which explores the ways that sustainability and climate change in particular will transform investing. Earlier this year, BlackRock announced a series of changes regarding sustainability, exiting businesses that present high risks across ESG, such as thermal coal producers, launching new products that screen out fossil fuels, and increasing transparency in our investment stewardship activities. Today, we'll speak with Andrew Ang, head of factor investing at BlackRock. We'll start the conversation by talking about what factor investing is and how it relates to the recent market volatility. Then we'll hear why Andrew believes sustainability and factor investing go together like tea and biscuits. I'm your host, Oscar Polito. We hope you enjoy. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today on The Bid. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You're a renowned expert in factor investing. For a number of us, though, we don't really know how to think about factors. So let's start there. What are factors? Thanks, Oscar. I think about factors as being the soul of investing. And all the great active managers have always wanted to buy cheap. They've wanted to find trends, find high-quality companies, gravitate to safety, and find smaller, more nimble companies. And these are proven sources of returns. And I'd like to share a little analogy with you just to think about factors in a modern day context. So Oscar, you've got a phone, right? I certainly run my life on my phone. Absolutely. And you use a camera. Absolutely, just like everybody else. You check in on flights, you use Uber or Lyft, you read a newspaper, you watch TV or videos, and you go shopping. All of those things we had 20 to 30 years ago. They're not new. But the ability to put those onto a phone has transformed my life and I think yours as well. And that's what factor investing is. Everybody wants to buy cheap and find trends and find high quality names. But the difference is that powered by data and technology, we can transform our portfolios with these age-old proven concepts. So it's not really actually the sources of return that are different. It's doing it transparently at scale, doing the same concepts in a multi-asset context, in fixed income, in commodities, in foreign exchange, and of course in equities, combining these and putting forth new portfolio solutions to meet objectives like defense, like where we are today, or to enhance returns. That's what factors are. And so are there an unlimited number of types of factors or over time, have you found there to be a shorter, more finite list? And if it is in fact a shorter list, how do we define what some of these factors are? Great question, Oscar. And I like to think about factors as broad and persistent sources of returns. Broad that they affect thousands of securities, thousands of stocks or thousands of bonds. And we've known about them for a very long time, decades in fact, with six Nobel Prizes. And what makes a factor of four criteria? You want that economic rationale. It has to have a long history. We want to be able to have differentiated returns, particularly with respect to market cap indices in equities and bonds. And we want to pass on low cost to investors, so we have to be able to do these at scale. And after these criteria, we really have half a dozen macro factors and half a dozen style factors. The style factors are value, buying cheap, momentum, or trends, 
we look at smaller, more nimble securities and small size strategies. We gravitate to safety and minimum volatility strategies, and we look for companies with high quality earnings or quality strategies. And on the macro side, the big three factors are economic growth, real rates, and inflation. And we like to think about three more, which we believe to be important, emerging markets, credit, and liquidity. How many factors are there? Half a dozen macro factors, half a dozen style. As we talk about factors, it's impossible to ignore the market volatility of recent weeks. And you mentioned uh, defense and minimum volatility. So as we deal with the market environment, are factors performing in a way that you would have expected? We're right at the point where we've just had a bear market, that 20% decline since the peak. And factors actually, unlike the general market conditions are performing exactly in line as what we expect. Despite the tumult in markets, we like quality stocks and we like stocks with low risk. If we take the time just as we cross that bear market threshold to be at that minus 20%, right? So the S&P ended down 23% right after that happened. If we look at how minimum volatility strategies have fared, well, actually, they're down less. It's minus 18. And we also see this internationally. International markets are down 25 at that bear market point. And if we look at minimum volatility strategies, they've also outperformed there. So we want defense with quality and minimum volatility. One of the surprising things, though, more recently, has been the outperformance of momentum. While the S&P went down 23 and it breached that bear market threshold, if we look at the performance of momentum, it's only been down 16 to 17% at that point in time. And we usually think of momentum as being a pro-cyclical factor. That is, it does kind of really well when the market ramps up. But momentum actually can do well as long as there are trends, trends up or trends down. And this is a really good illustration of where momentum has done well actually in a falling market. We believe that momentum is an attractive factor today, and we've seen that in the performance year to date. So Andrew, even though factor performance generally manifests itself over the long term, we can also see short-term performance where factors behave as we expected. Is it fair to think of it that way? Right on, Oscar. And as we come in into this very late cycle and we've entered this bear market, Value strategies and size strategies have underperformed. Value has actually had a tough time for several years now. We expect value to underperform in a late economic cycle. A value stock is typically something that's a little bit staid, a little bit old-fashioned. It makes things. It's got factories and production lines. It's got a lot of fixed assets. And it's got business models that are very efficient, but it's hard to change what you manufacture on your factory floor overnight or produce another service. Not surprisingly, value stocks tend to underperform during a late economic cycle because you'd really want to be doing something else, but you just can't. The best time for value stocks is coming out from a recovery where those economies of scale, well, you get large efficiencies in operating leverage, not financial leverage, but operating leverage, and value stocks tend to do very well then. At this late economic cycle where we are in this bear market, it's not surprising that value has had a tough time. And so if this volatility continues, and you've touched on this a little bit, but it sounds like there are some interesting opportunities 
presenting themselves for investors who want to think about integrating factors into their portfolio where perhaps in the past they haven't? This is precisely the time that I think general investors should be thinking about incorporating factor strategies. And it's actually for defense. We can employ factors also on the offense, but let's concentrate on how we can employ factors defensively. And I want to talk about three things. Defense in your equity allocation, potentially also in your equities, sometimes the best defense is a great offense, and then factors employed defensively in our total portfolios. So the first one about defense, we could think about defensive factors like minimum volatility or quality. And I think right now during this bear market, this is a time that we want stocks with low risk. These stocks will have over the long run market-like returns, but we're going to have reduced volatility. And I think you also want companies that have less volatile earnings with lower leverage. I think that's just prudent where we are in the business cycle today. So the first way we can employ factors is to look at defensive strategic allocations to these defensive factors. Sometimes, though, we can actually, for those investors, and there are only certain numbers of those, employ factors opportunistically. And we talked about some of the outperformance of momentum. And so the time variation of factors offers some investors some opportunity to take on time-varying factor exposure, potentially as an incremental source of returns. And then finally, well, we want to hold diversified portfolios in a multi-asset context. And there, we want diversification across all of those macro factors. So while equities have gone down, by and large, fixed income has done quite well over the first few months of 2020. If we look at balancing out those macro factors, we can obtain some defense in our total portfolios too. So Andrew, having done some good education here around factor investing, let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about another topic that has made a lot of headlines this year, which is sustainability. And throughout this miniseries, we've talked as a firm at BlackRock that we are very much at a pivotal moment when it comes to sustainability. We've talked about the fact that climate risk is investment risk. So when you think about factor investing, a space that you've been associated with for many years, how does that relate to everything that's going on with sustainability today? You know, Oscar, I grew up in Australia. And so I'll use this little phrase that I think of factors and sustainability as tea and biscuits. They just go together so well. And if we think about the economic rationales for factors, they result from a reward for bearing risk, a structural impediment, and behavioral biases. And certain sustainability criteria and data fit those as well. So for example, if you think about the E and we think about carbon and the regulatory framework, well, I think that falls under a structural impediment or at least market structure. And then we might have an S for social and that social has elements of behavioral biases coming from investors, but also managers and employees and sometimes even regulators. And then finally, we might have geo-governance, which I think if done properly might actually reduce risk. So it actually fits in that reward for risk category. But what's really important is this economic rationale, because for those sustainability signals that do fall into these categories, some but not all, we're absolutely going to use them to generate alpha, 
to have higher returns and to reduce risk for investors. And Oscar, I'd love to share some of the latest research that we've had on using ESG or using sustainability metrics in factors. That'd be great. I know that one of the questions that often comes up is the reliability or the quality of the data that investors can access around, you touched on E, S, and G, environmental, social, and governance considerations. So how do you obtain that data and then how does it play into factor investing? Yeah, let's start off first with that. If you're a factor investor, you are actually pro-sustainability. Because in particular, quality and minimum volatility have significantly above average characteristics on these ESNG criteria that you just expounded on, Oscar. But we can go further. And I think the most exciting frontier is to incorporate those ESG data or signals into the factor definitions themselves. So let's give you two examples. We've started to incorporate green patent quality. So patents are really interesting data set. They're a measure of intangible capital. They monetize intellectual property. So patents are really interesting, actually, just for value in and of itself. But you can go further, and patents are filed in different fields. And there are various classifications of patents. And green patents are fields that fall under UN Sustainable Development Goals. It turns out that if you look at the companies that are filing green patents and being awarded them, that has incremental predictive power. Now, is that sustainability? Absolutely it is. But we can also incorporate that in a value factor. What's the intuition? I think these UN Sustainable Development Goals are not only really important problems for society, but they represent highly profitable opportunities for corporations too. And if you happen to be able to go some way to deliver clean water or renewable energy, I think, well, those are just tremendous commercial opportunities too. And so for those companies that are taking that leap, it is risky, but it will be rewarded. And we can incorporate that into a value factor. And just to clarify, Andrew, so what you're saying is that there are a number of ways in which we can identify characteristics of value companies, but green patents would just be another one of those characteristics that we can look at. And that also happens to be a way to think about ESG investing as well. That's right. The second example is looking at corporate culture. And culture absolutely matters, but sometimes it's a bit hard to get a quantitative signal from something that's more qualitative in nature. But I think everybody would agree that culture matters. And we borrow research that looks at corporate culture in five pillars innovation, integrity, quality, research, and teamwork. And we use machine learning techniques. We go through textual documents. We look at the 10,000 broker-dealer reports that BlackRock receives every year. And we build a dictionary from these machine learning techniques, a dictionary that captures all of these five pillars of corporate culture. We then go through and we count the frequency of that dictionary measuring corporate culture, we make some adjustments like for the total length of the document and for some other things. But at the end of the day, we come up with a quantitative signal for corporate culture. And that's a non-financial version of quality. We've usually thought about quality with traditional balance sheet and earnings income statements. But now we can think about more qualitative, sustainable versions of quality too. 
So you've mentioned value and momentum and quality and these terms for factors. So is what you're saying that ESG itself is a factor? Can we think about if I invest in a manner consistent with high ESG scores that I too will earn a premium in terms of return over the long term the same way I have with some of the factors that you've studied for many years? That's a great question, Oscar. And I view it that we can use certain ESG information to enhance and improve the definition of factors. But the factors themselves have to meet these various criteria. They have to have an economic rationale. They have to have long time series. We want differentiated returns, and we want to offer them at scale. These four criteria that we talked about earlier. And not all of these sustainability metrics will fit those criteria. To the extent that we can incorporate those with sustainable data, of course we're going to do it. But sustainability by itself, while not all of these sustainable data will fit the same criteria as factors. So Oscar, let me take a step back and give some comments about the overall framework for integrating sustainability with factor investing. Factor investing, the first seminal work on this was Graham and Dodd in 1934. And they were two accounting professors at the institution that I taught at as a professor for 15 years, Columbia University. And in that book, Security Analysis, they actually talked about ESG. Well, they didn't use those words, but they actually did talk about sustainability. They talked about the character of management. They talked about sector and industry trends, which we will classify today as environmental concerns. And they also talked about S, which in their language was conservatism. They didn't have a way to think about quantitatively measuring these. So ESG has been with us for a very long time. But what we're doing with factors is that we always want that economic rationale. We look at value, quality, momentum, size, minimum volatility, but we're going to do it with the latest research. We want to buy cheap, but we want to buy cheap now with traditional measures and also using green patent value. And we want high quality companies, but we want to look beyond earnings and maybe also look at the quality of management. And so there's a natural evolution. Factors have been always at the forefront of incorporating big data and new research techniques. And now we go to AI and machine learning. Factors and sustainability, they're like tea and biscuits. Another element that you've studied is the carbon profiles of factors. And obviously, carbon is a big part of the sustainability discussion. So what have you found with respect to this topic? Yeah, these are really interesting. So again, if you're a factor investor, generally speaking, if you take these multi-factor combinations diversified across these style factors, you actually have below average carbon emissions. So already, if you're a factor investor, you're green. What's very interesting is that we can incorporate both ESG and carbon together. Let me give you an illustration of that. So we want to improve ESG. We want to lower carbon. What's the first kind of company that we might want to select? Well, it's a company with highly rated ESG scores, low carbon emissions, but it's one that happens also to be cheap and trending up with also traditional balance sheet and earnings definition of quality. And if we had to remove one company, say, because that company had ESG scores that were too low or was emitting too much carbon, 
then the first sort of company we might consider excluding from our portfolio would be a company that's really expensive and probably is very volatile and it has low quality earnings. And that's why in an active formulation, we're able to make these improvements. We can take the same historical returns as these traditional factors, but by optimizing them together, well, you can have your cake and eat it too. So what's next for sustainability in the factor universe? We want to continue pushing, incorporating by research, the sustainable data and insights into our factor definitions. Let me give you one more. It's on deceptive language. And when companies make statements, they make public statements in their earnings calls, they have communications, sometimes that language can be a bit evasive or deceptive. And we can pick that up again with modern machine learning techniques. And the companies that are more transparent with less deceptive language, they tend to outperform. I want to come back and ask you about your career because you've been involved with factors for quite a long time. In fact, you wrote a textbook on factor investing. It's 717 pages. I looked it up and there's going to be a lot of folks working from home over the next couple of weeks and they might want to pick it up off the shelf. But what got you interested in this topic in the first place? Thanks, Oscar, for reading all 700 plus of that book. I was born in Malaysia and during the late 1960s and early 1970s, that country went through a series of pretty bad race riots. And my parents were searching somewhere safe to bring up their family and they migrated to Perth, Australia. And we were one of the first Asian families in this new wave of migration there. And I was just different. For many years, I was the only non-white kid in class. You have to question, like, why? And what difference does it make? And what should you do about it? I'm really fortunate, and I'm so grateful for all of those opportunities growing up in Australia. Proud to be Australian and proud to be American, too. And that questioning of why led me to become a professor. And I left Australia. I did my PhD at Stanford. And that was where I fell in love intellectually with factors because it looked one level deep to not the color of the skin that you have, the shape of your body, but to your character. And that's why I describe factors as the soul of investing. It's what really matters, what drives returns. And since coming to BlackRock, you recently starred in a number of different videos with celebrities from different industries. So Danny Meyer, the restaurateur, Idina Menzel, the actress, and basketball coach Doc Rivers. Who would be on your list to speak to next? Well, I think the dream person would be Oprah. You can't get another person with that same, I mean, the business that she's built, the leading light that she is, TV personality, award-winning actress, and just the integrity of her person. Well, knowing your ambition, Andrew, I'm sure it will happen at some point in the near term. We're ending each episode of Sustainability, Our New Standard, with a question to each of our guests, which is what's the one moment that changed the way you thought about sustainability? Well, I have two kids, Oscar, and just thinking about their future. And we're also in the business of building futures, not only for ourselves, but for future generations. And of course, we have to think about sustainability, but it's not only for the sake of being sustainable. It's also about being able to create better outcomes for our clients. And factors in ESG, they are like tea and biscuits. We can do both. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. It's been a pleasure having you on The Bid. Thanks so much.
This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. This information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not get back the amount invested. In the U.S. and Canada, this material is intended for public distribution. In the U.K., this is issued by BlackRock Investment Management U.K. Limited, authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, registered office, 12 Throgmorton Avenue, London, EC2N 2DL. Telephone plus 44020-7743-3000. Registered in England and Wales, number 2020394. For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. BlackRock is a trading name of BlackRock Investment Management UK Limited. In Singapore, this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited, co-registration number 2000-10143N. In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management North Asia Limited and has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. In Australia, issued by BlackRock Investment Management Australia Limited, ABN 13-006-165-975-AFSL, 230-523-BIMAL. The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice nor an offer or solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund. No securities regulators in Latin America have confirmed the accuracy of any information contained herein. The provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the Investment Services Guide, available at www.blackrock.com mx. Copyright 2019, BlackRock Inc. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Inc. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.